Got it? Okay, they said they're, they're doing the recording. So we're going to start in the book of Ezekiel chapter 22. Now I'm going to jump in the middle. And the book, the Ezekiel was an amazing prophet of God, uh, living around 16, I mean 600, 665 B.C. Uh, when you look at a man of God that was called to be a messenger of the truth of God, Ezekiel had a very unique calling by God. What God was going to do in this man's life was amazing. And one of the things we're going to see as we look at this calling and recognize this is Ezekiel, but this is us. And this is why the word of God is so alive. We're going to begin reading in verse 25 to get a context to what was taking place in Israel at the time that Ezekiel was penning these words that the Holy Spirit was giving him. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst like a roaring lion tearing the prey. Okay, so the prophets are in conspiracy. They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in the midst of her. Even the prophets in the time of Ezekiel were corrupt. We keep turning and looking at the next verse. We go to the priest. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane, and they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. They hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. So the story of the prophets and the priests were the same. We're looking at a really tough portion of the Word of God. But what I love about the Word of God is the Word of God will take you to some really hard areas. And it'll it'll let us look at that very hard and direct. And then oftentimes we'll see a solution. And we're going to get to that solution later this morning. Now let's look at the princes. Verse 27. Her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey. By shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. So look at all of the people that should have been great contributors in the kingdom of Israel, and they're all turning from God. They're all running the other way. Let's go on. Her prophets, now, oh, God, bring a prophet. And notice what it says in 28. Her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. These men were not hearing the voice of God, but they were still saying they were hearing the voice of God. A challenge for every man that's here this morning. We want to keep listening, but notice, look at the resume of the men of God. These are the people that were the leaders of Israel. Israel is going to be moving toward captivity. They will be conquered. Israel is going to watch within the time of Ezekiel, they're going to watch the Shekinah glory of God go from the temple. It's gone. God has left the temple. And the prophets and the priests don't care. They aren't moved. The passion of God had fled from their hearts. Let's look on. Now here's the people. Well, what does the people do? The people will never rise any higher than the leaders. It doesn't work. We can never expect the people to ascend to some mountain that the leaders themselves are not willing to go to. Oftentimes the leaders will even hear, well, it was the people, God. But notice the people of the land, of the land have practiced oppression, committed robbery, and they have wronged the poor and needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. Look what the people did. So you've got all these people. You stop and you just go back and look here. You've got the prophets, their conspiracies, you've got the priests, they've got the princes, they've got the prophets again, and here comes the people. They'll never rise any higher. Our families will probably rise no higher than the men of God that are leading them. We play a game and we think our children will be something we're not. But here it was, this was the condition when God takes this man Ezekiel and he plucks him down in Israel And he says, I'm going to give you a ministry here, Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel had some really interesting things happen in his life. First thing God told Ezekiel, he says, 
I'm going to send you back to your own people. And he says, they're going to make faces at you, and they're going to laugh at you, but Ezekiel, I'm going to make your forehead harder than flint. But they're going to make fun of you when you're teaching the Word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not where I sign up for ministry at first thing. But I will tell you, many times God says, that's where you'll go. God will, go, will take you where he wants you to go and not where we choose to go, and that's what he's going to go to Ezekiel. So what did God do with this man of God that was still... You see, men, every one of us resists God. Every one of us. We're like halfbacks running, stiff-arming God, and God spends his life breaking down the arm and the resistance that we will let him lead us as he wants us to go. And here it was, it was no different than Ezekiel. That's what I like about the Bible. You can reach out here and you grab Ezekiel and say, he's right here. You can go over there and you look at all those apostles, those prophets. You think, well, wasn't Abraham something? No, I think when God told Abraham to go off your son, the Isaac, uh, on the altar, he just said, and the will had to be broken. So you know how God broke Ezekiel's will? He took him down to the river of Shebar and he let him sit at the river of Shebar seven days and watch the people. Just sit here and watch, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel watched, and the word of God says, then I understood. Now I'm ready to go. And look where God is going to send him. I'm going to send you to a rebellious house. I'm going to send you to a hard-hearted group of people. But then he says, when I send you there, I'm going to send you and have you do weird, unusual things. Get it? Ministry is weird. Ministry is unusual. Don't expect the masses to commend the minister of the gospel. It is not understood by the masses. So what did he tell Ezekiel? Okay, Ezekiel, lay down on your side. 300 what? In 60 some days, 390 days. Just lay on one side. I'll bring you food. And you're giving a message to the house of Israel. You go back and find this. You don't have time to go through all this message. Now flip on the other side, Ezekiel. Now you lay on your other side. Just lay there 40 days. Can you imagine the people? You guys are up here singing. I was blessed so much. Can you imagine the people walking by and looking over here and saying, who's that guy? Ezekiel. Right where, he wants, right where I want him to be. You see, sometimes I'm no different than you men. Yes, we do a lot of international mission work, but I want to serve God in normal environments. I want to serve God where it's where everyone seems to understand it, and God says no. So you know what happened to Ezekiel? God takes away his wife. 34 years old, chapter 9. She leaves. Now Ezekiel, go out there and minister. There may have been a wife, but I can't find that wife in the Bible. So here was Ezekiel now, no wife, doing weird things, God was breaking the will of Ezekiel in the midst of people that didn't, want to look, didn't like it, and they were making fun of him and laughing. And then God began to speak through this man of God. Now notice uh, the next verse, because this, this is the passion of the message this morning within the context that the Lord has laid in my heart. This wasn't Ezekiel writing. It's important to always get that in the Bible. This wasn't Ezekiel. This was God speaking through Ezekiel. This was the words of the Lord. And the Lord says this to Ezekiel. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. I looked. I just wanted to find a man. Just a man that would say, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll take the blows you want me to take. I'll be the fool for your sake. And the word of God says he couldn't find one. He could not find one in the midst of all of the men. When you think of a God who loves us so much that he sent his only son, I wonder... How many times this describes a weeping God even today that looks out to even Christian people that have it all right 
that live in our little boxes, but we can't respond to the voice of God. You know, with Ezekiel, he, uh, here he was. You know, for maybe a moment, someone to say, we finally got our man, Ezekiel. Study the Bible and you see this tremendous infatuation with idolatry in every dispensation. Abraham's our man. Carrying all the way to the time of Jesus, we have Abraham and the prophets even tell Jesus, why should we believe you? It's an infatuation. It's an amazing thing. But the Lord says, I look. So here came the, here come these patriarchs of old. Here come great men of God. And for a moment you might say, but look at Daniel. He rises up. And then he dies. And the Lord kept searching for a man. So he finds Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And for a moment they looked almost immortal. David, the kings came and then they fell. Or you opened up their life and you saw something so much different. And the word of God says he kept looking. You know, I love the verse in Chronicles 7.14 that says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is made perfect toward him. Do we know this morning God has his eyes on us? You're the men. We're not looking at the answer yet. We're still looking at the problem. And we look at Ezekiel here pinning these words and, and in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, a nation that was walking away from God and all the people, all the people were walking away. And a question came over me as God laid this on my heart that comes throughout the countries we work in. You know, everyone, a lot of people come to me about you guys' age. Ah, oh, we want to go to China. You know what I do when I walk into churches in China? I say, you know what I hear from the weeping women? Where are the men? Where are the men? You know why? Because the Chinese men aren't fools. You become a Christian in China, and you give your heart to Christ, and you're probably going to prison. I'm not going there. You go over to Myanmar, and you start looking... You know what churches are full of in these, in these developing countries? 80% women. The men stay home. Could, could I share with you a passion of my heart? And I speak to you younger men, not many. I believe we are at a time that the men of God, the young men of God, must arise by the power and the strength of God and stand. Churches will never rise higher than homes. Churches do not resurrect what homes put to death. May God give us that grace. But here in the time of Ezekiel, God was looking. He couldn't find anyone. You know, you think, well, why weren't men willing to stand in the gap? Oh, I think of Peter, you know, or some of the disciples. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. And the Lord says, you know, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go bury dad. Let the dead bury the dead. You go preach the kingdom of God. I don't think there is a more miserable man in the face of the earth than a man that has truly heard the call of God and said no. I've seen the resistance in men's hearts, but I've seen nothing more blessing than when you see people that have heard the call of God and said yes. Well, why don't we go? We're the men. Well, here's one, man. You guys can all relate to this. We all gap. We major in minors. We get off in some little detail over here and we forget what the major message of the Word of God is. We forget why the church is here. We forget why we are here and what we forget that the person we're talking to in the street is either going to heaven or hell. And it becomes about a way of life and a nice culture. And the passion of for lost souls leaves us. It's a subtle thing. No one escapes this deadly cancer 
that comes within our heart that sweeps this passion out of it very slowly and very subtly. But we get. Well, here's a gap. Night before last, we have a gal call us that we've been ministering with for probably 35 years, and she says, I'm coming through. I mean, I'm telling you, brothers, brothers, uh, when she walks in the door, she carries 10 bags. And she plops those bags down, and you sit there for six hours. And it isn't that I haven't heard this before. I pastored with her all the way back into California. She's been in Joey's church different times. She gets ready to leave. We're getting ready to go to bed. I, I, I can't even think anymore. And uh, all of a sudden, she says, I'm going out to the car. She goes out the car. She leaves all the garage doors open. And she leaves. And I, or I, I leave. I go to bed. And the next morning, every garage door at our place is open. And the cars are in there with keys. And my first thing is, uh, she really got then it hit me, no, 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 you're, you're, the, you're the head of this household, you got, you were to make the loot back. You were to make sure that things were secure in your house. You were too tired. You know, how about the area of just gapping because our memories are starting to go out? You know, there was a time I thought, you know what, I'll never lose the cell phone. Why does people lose it? And every week I'm calling, Where did, have you seen my cell phone? Deb, have you seen the cell? Or how about uh, the wallet? Do you know where I put the wallet? We gap. And there's another reason we gap, just real quickly here. We're thinking about this question the Lord asked. I search for a man to stand among them. They build up the wall, stand in the gap. Notice there's two things here. There was building the wall. There's a willingness to build a wall. Just remember like the days of Nehemiah. He goes back in. You men that were there last year, you still got your shirts on. Building the wall, but notice the next one standing in the gap. Now we're going to see something in a little while uh, that is pretty profound about the Bible. It shows us that we aren't able to stand in the gap. It's too big, it's too wide. Sin is too deadly. Sin separates us from God. The gap is too big. Men have tried to stand there, but they've fallen. They couldn't Connect the two dots. And the word of God says he looked for a man, two things, build up the wall and stand, and stand in the gap, and he found none. Well, there's another area where just we are simply in a fallen, messed up, mixed up world. Every one of you know that. I would venture to say there's not a man here this morning that would have to think very far to see things that you cannot fix in your family, in your society, in your church. Praise God. I say praise God. Because God shows us that we can't fix it. We cannot do this. You know, we have these mental gaps. We have these spiritual gaps. We have these distraction gaps. We float away. And Ezekiel, I'm sure, was dealing with some of the same problems in his day. Then there's just a simply thing, kind of like the woman that came to Debbie and I over in China, and she asked for a prayer. And this was a different prayer. She says, uh, sir, I want you to pray because my, my husband has a calling of the ministry and I don't want him to go. And I thought, what? You don't want your husband to go. Why would you not want your husband to go? She says, you have been into this, this part of the country many times, sir. You see what happens. When men like my husband become pastors, they neglect their wives. Their marriages are abandoned. And they're driven so much by demand that they cannot restrict themselves from that. And there's a gap. Oh, is that a temptation of the ministry? Tremendously great. We can become intoxicated with the ministry rather than the Lord Jesus that we're coming to serve. But Ezekiel was in this time and we're looking at kind of a negative area, very negative uh, and here's another one, another reason we don't want to serve. We don't like the place God put us. God, I, I'm all for serving. I really am. I'm on fire, but oh, I had a friend in, in Thailand. Oh, I love the guy. He goes to uh, Calvary up in the Northwest, get together every time we go up there. Love the guy. Been over there four times ministering with him. One day he says, you know what? Great teacher. 
He says, you know, I really have a calling to teach, John. And I said, Martin, you're a great carpenter. Those guys are building the house over there. Have you ever thought about going over there, putting your nail apron on, and helping those guys build for an hour and see what God does? He said, you know what? I'm not a carpenter anymore. I'm a teacher. You see, God sees us want to do what we want to do, and God just simply says no. A lot of times he doesn't spank us, but we just start gapping. You know, it was a while back, we got, he says, brother, I want to meet you at McDonald's up there. We go back, we, he'll catch me if he knows I'm coming through. Brother, I went against the voice of God. You came in here four times, ministered with my family, shared the gospel. But he says, you know what? I just wanted to go minister the way I wanted to, and now God's got me where he wants me. Great challenge. For you young guys who are going, praise God. Where you're going, I praise God. That men, young men like you are willing to go and be counted in the kingdom. But remember, keep those hands open. Keep them open. So often we close these hands down. We say, Lord, I got a special calling, special gift in my life. And God says, hey, hey, you know, if you want to meet my wife, most of you probably don't know my wife. You know where you'll find her? Tuesday over here in some corner cleaning this house, this church. You know what she loves to do? That's her favorite thing. Just serves. Comes home and just tells me what a blessing to get with you, Don, and a couple of you other guys here, and your wives, and pray and how much it means. And you know what happens? We lose so many opportunities because we want to do ministry our way. You see, Ezekiel really wasn't ready till his will was taken from him at the river Shebar. It had to be reduced. It had to be stripped from him. When finally we say, Lord, I'll go. You see, I didn't have any plans to stand up here. I did not have any plans to be an elder in this church. I had big plans till I heard from your pastor that he was hearing from God. And little did he know that I was hearing from God week after week after week over here to do something, but I did not know what. But I thought it was back out there in the mission field somewhere. You see, God doesn't work like we do. His time frame isn't like us. He doesn't see like we see. God is looking in a different place completely. What we're going to do now, we've been looking over here at this negative stuff, and, and I don't want to dwell there. I, I, I really want to go and look into the real positive side of this message, but we're going to flip in our Bibles 700 years. We're going to go on the other side of the cross this morning. And let's look at this together in 2 Corinthians. And I think we'll just, you know, there's so many places you go in the Word of God, but this is what the Holy Spirit has given us, and so this is what we'll give you this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now, this is Paul writing to a very dysfunctional church in many ways. I mean, this church was really mixed up, but he, didn't, he never gave up on them. I just love that. I mean, this is, the, this is the heart of God. We don't give up. We keep pursuing. We keep loving. We keep forgiving. We keep ministering. We keep praying. And here he says this, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Now Paul is saying this is a different time. We are new creatures. You have been given you know what Ezekiel prophesied? Ezekiel 18, 36, 11, those chapters. He was one of the early prophets that spoke of a new heart that the Lord would give. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take away the old heart. I will take away all that stuff. And I will put in you, me. And if you look into the context of the writing, most of the time those prophets did not see that. They just saw something, though things will probably get better. But we see it on this side of the cross. I will give you a new heart. You are a new creature. Your outlook is different. Your power is different. And what you'll get in the context of the flow here, you'll begin to see a great change has come over the people from the time of Ezekiel till now. Amazing change. Oh, there was 400 dark years that there was hardly no voice left in Israel. The last cries of the prophets had went out. And here came Jesus. And he stood in the gap. And you're going to see this. 
See, God could not find a man, so he found his man. Well, there's a story here, man, that is so great and profound that we'll never get this in our entire lifetime to the magnitude the Word of God teaches it, and that is that we are not good people. Get it? We've got to get that thing a thousand times. We don't get it right. Churches don't get it right. Governments don't get it right. God gets it right. And that's it. God does it perfectly. We mess everything up we get our hands on. How many times have we tried to stand in the gap and messed it up? The other day, for six hours, I sat looking at this dear sister I love so deeply. She's, the next morning, I'm trying to study this. She says, read 30 pages of my last lettering. And I told Debbie, I don't want to read that. It takes me away from the message, but I did. And finally, I went down and I said, Rach, you know what you got to do? That whole packet, it might all be right. You got to tear it up. You got to get rid of it. It'll kill you. We got something so much better today in Jesus Christ. So much better. And this is what the Apostle Paul began to write to a church of Corinth. Let's even say to men like us that are there, that are looking out over this church and about everywhere you turn, well, this guy's got his, his mother's wife and this guy, these people over here are laughing, making faces and this guy over here is uh, calling me a fool for Christ's sake and this guy here is just defaming me and all this stuff. And he says, here's what I want to tell you. He says, uh, you're a new creature and old things have passed away and all things have become new. I've given, I've given you a job. I have given you a tremendous job, but I didn't give you the job without the tools. Now notice this. He says, now all these things are from God. Oh, there's another one we got to get a lot of times in our life. I sat across from a brother today and I asked him what he does for work. He said, I don't hardly want to touch it because it's so much of God, and I praise God for that. But here Paul says, all these things are from God, who hath reconciled us to himself through Christ. Oh, God found the man. The man was his son. There was no one else. No arm to save, no eye to pity. And he reconciled us. He made it right. He he took the transaction that was tremendously out of balance and by one sacrifice for sin forever, he sits down at the right hand of God and he makes it right. And he takes an imbalance that is so great and our iniquities had hid our face from him. And God, through his son, Jesus Christ, one sacrifice for sin forever. Man, he reconciled us to Jesus Christ. You know, there's something that can be a real temptation in the Christian church, though, as Christians, and I've been there too. We can just camp on that the rest of our life and miss the last part of this verse. We can camp on it and just talk about the glories of the reconciliation of Jesus Christ, the work of the cross, the communion of the Holy Ghost. But notice what he says then. He says he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He says, I brought you back. I brought the man to stand in the gap. That you could embrace the man who stands in the gap. That you can go. That you can go. As men of God. And stand in the gap. Because he stood in the gap for you. You see, it's no longer a... It's no longer... One of the songs you guys sung this morning was about, I no longer fear. It isn't a fearful life anymore. It is a life empowered by the Spirit of God that you can go through the Spirit of God. People ask me sometimes, do you ever get scared when you go into another country? I've never felt fear one time. You know why? Because it isn't me. It's Christ. It isn't you, but Christ. You know what Paul says? I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And here's what he said. He's given us the ministry. It's a tremendous ministry, man. We're going to look at this and we're going to see some arms and legs to this in a little bit, but it's a tremendous ministry. Notice it wasn't something we earned. It wasn't something we merited. It came as a gift. The gift to be a minister of the gospel that God reaches out and says, 
I call you worthy as my son because my son went to the cross that you can take my message that is not your message and share it that men can come back to Jesus Christ. It's a tremendous, tremendous ministry. Namely, what happened? 19 says what really happened. Here's the cross. I oftentimes, when Pastor Brett's preaching, I'm looking back here at this cross. Wow, what a, every church, the center of the gospel message is the cross of Christ. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. This is what God was doing through Jesus Christ. You see, it wasn't just Christ at the cross. It was God in God so loved the world that he gave his son, but he himself bare our sin in his own body in the tree that we being dead to sin could live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. It's an amazing, marvelous truth. We could stop here and all of you, many of you could share very detailed about this. We'll never get the magnitude of what happened at one point at Calvary, at one time with one sacrifice. But it says he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. So he looks to you, man, going to Madagascar, as young as you are, and we hand you the biblical baton today, and we say, you run. Give it everything you've got. It's not your message. It's Christ's message. Matter of fact, whenever you try to come back and stand in the gap, and I've never worked with many ministers very long that I haven't seen that a part of it, that we start getting back in there. And God says, get out of the way. You'll mess it up. And he says, I've given you the word of reconciliation. Now run. Carry the gospel. You know, one of the things that spoke to us as deeply as anything when I first walked in the doors of this church, two, three of you men are sitting here this morning. You're a different group of men. You're here, but there's more than that. I saw men of age that had a vision for God that they would not let go, and that beat in my heart. This week, I've heard from two of you men sitting here this morning of what God has shared with you about the kingdom of God. Big visions. It's not because we can do it, men. It is because we have been given something so precious, though, because of what he did at the cross. And he has now said, now you take off and run. I've been given you the ministry of reconciliation. You know, sometimes the Bible says, what's this look like? We're going to keep looking at this. You know, um, if you look in the verse 20, it says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Jesus in this world. Everywhere we go, we might not think no one is watching. You walk in the grocery store. You deal in some level of business. There's hundreds of eyes watching. We are ambassadors. We represent the kingdom of God in this world as though God through, were making an appeal through us. We beg you in behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, man, we do not fix problems. God does at the cross. You can't patch up people. It takes transformed lives. What is our calling? Our calling is a point to the Lord of great reconciliation. The one who through his own sacrifice by sending his son at the cross restored us back to his self. None of us can grasp the death of the chasm between us and God before God divinely intervened and through his son gave the most precious thing to bring us back to him. Heaven itself will probably, you know, when the Bible says God will wipe away all tears from their eyes, I've wondered at times if, if that will not just be, we'll be so overwhelmed with grace. And what, You see, man, it's easy to start thinking, well, it don't take as much grace to save them because they're pretty good people. No, no, the word of God says we are all unclean. Every one of us. The best person in this church is lost without Jesus Christ completely. But he says, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're here to be a blessing everywhere. Oh, I talked to one of you brothers this morning. I just listened to his heart of blessing. 
Well, sometimes, men, that blessing might be right in the marketplace ministry God has called you to that you did not choose and you even might wish to be different. But when you stand before God there and you put your pants on tomorrow or Monday morning and you put your shoes on and you put your hard hat on maybe and you declare the name of Jesus, you're sending out a powerful message to a lost world. Marketplace ministry lags deeply in the Christian church today. It never was ours. It never will be ours. God wants it back. But we've got this moment. And the word of God says, we are these ambassadors. We have been given given this ministry of reconciliation. Some of you here would go, well, uh, what do we do? You know, I'm not a teacher the same. I don't know how to do things quite like you or him or them. Oh, the enemy is a great detractor from the message. Now, here is the message. I love this about the Word of God because the Word of God will present a problem. You keep looking at the context, you'll see the solution. The problem, solution. Problem, solution. Problem, solution. Keep reading. It'll be there. Notice what Paul said. I'll give you your message. Here's the message. Verse 21. He, God, hath made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, perfect, spotless, the Lamb of God, to be sin for, uh, for, on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It isn't that Jesus just saves, brothers. Not only did Jesus restore, rebuild relationships, reconcile us back to God through his son, Jesus, Jesus, through this great sacrifice, we become the righteousness of God in him. We're different people. Jesus himself said, I've come, you'll have life, you'll have it more abundantly. I'm not interested in half-hearted Christianity. I'm not interested in just church. I want people sold out for the kingdom. And this is what the word of God teaches all over. And we're back to Ezekiel. I'm about ready to wrap this up when I look for a man that would stand in the gap and I could not find any people, any men. Now, you know the question. I, you, you know what the question is because the Holy Spirit has already given it to you. Will I be the man? Am I willing to be the man to stand in the gap? Not where I choose, not where it would, everybody else is. Seldom does God use you in ministry among the masses. He uses us all in some pretty obsolete, remote, unseen areas. That's the king we serve. That's where Jesus came. Oh, Jesus... Uh, we were in the Philippines a year ago or so and had a few hours and I went to one of these guys riding a tuk-tuk and I said, I want you to take me down to the poorest of the poor of this city of Davao. He says, sir, why would you ever want to go to the poorest of the poor? I says, because sir, that's where Jesus would go. And one of you is introduced today who works in the prisons. Oh, brothers, sometimes we're looking in the wrong places. Then he looked at me and he says, you know what else? Uh, that's where I live, so I'll take you down and introduce you to my family. And pretty soon we're down, the poorest of the poor. There's no water. Gutters are running with sewage. There's his wife, his little daughter, of his, wife, of his, I mean, his little granddaughter. His daughter had already died of AIDS. This is the world we live in, man. And that's where God says we're to go. I can't tell you what that looks like for you. I cannot. But I know God can I never expected, I thought I would end my ministry in California. I never expected to leave California 25, 25 years ago. I never thought I'd live, I lived, owned a property down here in Arizona for several years, never come down here, too hot. But this is God. You know, remember when he turned to Peter one time and he said, Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go. And when you get older, you'll stretch out your hands and you'll go where you you don't want to go. And it says this, signify, he spake this, signifying the death, he'd want to die, but it's, it's more than that, brothers. God's got a calling in your life to take you places that your, your flesh doesn't want to go. I think the Spirit has given that to you somewhere this morning. You don't want to. Like you, I have some very, very unusual friends and in the study I was... They were coming back. One's name's Robbie. Let me tell you about Robbie for just a minute. He lives in Washington State. 
He's a paraplegic because he had a stroke. But one day, years ago, when I was pastoring a church in Washington, this guy that had elephantitis walked in the church doors. And he sat in the back, way in the back. It's a night service, and I looked over at him. Who is this guy? And it was Robbie. He became this very dear friend. Very dear. Because you know what happened? Every time I got with Robbie, this is what happened. God gave me a word from God through Robbie. But he didn't know it. It was an amazing thing. Now Robbie's 66 years old, but here's the other thing about Robbie, is Robbie doesn't have any family. He never knew a family except the Church of Christ. First time I ever saw him after church was at the Union Gospel Mission where we had served for many years, and there he was. Robbie! Yeah, they took me in years ago. This is the church. Then a great stroke afflicted him. And I followed him from hospital to hospital to rest home to rehabilitation center. And I can still remember the first time that Robbie looked at me and he says, uh, Brother, you ever notice that uh, what great friends we are and our life is so different? And I said, It's amazing, Robbie. He lives at Dolly's Loving Care today in Yakima, Washington. You walk in, you would never hear a word of complaint. But you know, say, John, my ministry today, the ministry of the Lord, is greater than it's ever been in my whole life. I can't even get out the door. God just brings them here. He says, you're here today. Robbie has no idea at the times I did not know where to go. I did not know where to turn. And I walked in the doors that Dolly's loving care ran by this wonderful sister and just sat at his feet for an hour or two. And God was working in his heart to help me come back to God. You see, our problem is never symptoms. If some of you here today are struggling in a marriage, it is not because of her or him. It is because we're wrestling with God. This is our battle in every place we go. It is the, it's the war of our heart. And, and here is the side that... Uh, but I just ask you today, when, when the Word of God says, uh, what does it look like to you to say, Lord, I'll stand in the gap? Well, here's one thing about the gap. I've been watching this cross when Brett's been preaching, thinking, wow, so I get a chance to do it this morning. How high, do you think, how high do you think Jesus really was up there? I'm 5'10 or whatever. I mean, okay. Get your hands open, man. Get your hearts open. This is what Jesus did. To go. The heart has to be open. Oh God, your will. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Your will. That was where Jesus came, that's what Jesus did when he wrestled in Gethsemane before he got to the place called Calvary. What I propose to you this morning, that might have been the greatest battle that Jesus ever faced, was at Gethsemane. Oh, oftentimes for myself, it's that struggle of the will, the will, the will, it's got to go. I delight to do your will, O oh God, yea, your law is my delight. Maybe I'll tell you a story about another guy. Young, I met him when he was about you guys' age. His name was Mark, Mark Cueto. Coming to the church, church packed. There he was, the front row. Got talking to him after church. The guy just had a tremendous love for God, but he was amazingly handicapped. He couldn't find a job, but all he wanted to do was talk about the Lord. So I would take him with him, with me on jobs, and we'd go together, and we became these good friends. And Mark and I would go together, and he couldn't find a job. And so I said, Mark, if you could serve the Lord anywhere you would want to, where would you choose to serve the Lord? He says, well, I'd be an evangelist. And we weren't far from the Oakland Coliseum, and I'd preach in the Oakland Coliseum. And I'm going, wow, Mark. And I said, uh, what would be the message you would preach in the Oakland Coliseum? And he says, I don't have a clue. Because I can't even speak like that, but I just know that if God can open the, the lips of Moses... He can open my lips and he can give me a message if he puts me in the Oakland Coliseum. You know what that man had? That man had the same thing I've seen in some of you older men here. A heart that was willing to open their mouth wide that God could fill it. I was in the Philippines recently with Debbie. Clip. Hadn't seen that, haven't seen that guy in 25 years. Here's a picture. Just met Mark at church in the park. He's going to send you his picture that he loves you. Mark Cueto. Here's one for you. Big mouth, big heart, big eyes for Jesus. 
We picked him up. We'd go to these Bible studies, and we'd pick him up right there in Modesto, real close to Calvary Chapel. And we had this little station wagon, packed the kids in on the way to Bible study, young people's Bible study. On the way, here comes Mark, first time he ever came after he'd been to church. He said, I'll take you to Bible study. He comes out, and he has this huge black garbage bag on his shoulder like this, carrying it out to our car. And there's no place to put this garbage bag in our car because our car was packed with our children and my wife. I said, Mark, what do, you got in the what do you got in the bag? He says, I got every track and every biblical reference I could conceivably think we'd deal with tonight, and I just want to take it so it's all available as a resource here. However God wants to work. Well, we had to talk him out of it because we couldn't get it in the car, a little Volvo station wagon. But at the same time, here was a man who had a vision that was very large. I want to go back and linger again, man. We started there. I want to linger back just a moment in Ezekiel chapter 22. I just want to linger here. I'm done, really. Obviously, I'll be giving, giving, giving this back to Don or whoever pretty quick, but I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall. You know, it's a different, it's a different story today. It's a whole different story, this side of the cross. The veil has been written. The Holy Spirit has been given. Greater works than these we do because he goes to the Father. God says, okay, some of you are here sitting say, I cannot do that. Through Christ you can. And I searched for a man who would build up the wall, stand in the gap, in the gap before me in the land, so that I would not destroy it. Some of you here have shared with me your heart that this, this nation is very close to destruction. I can't counter that. I just know when a nation turns from God, it changes everything. And I look out here and I say, oh Lord, can these men be the men? The men, by God's grace alone, through his spirit working within them to stand in the gap in the last days. He doesn't use large groups of people. He doesn't use mighty men. He uses men that are broken, that are willing to say, God, I'll go exactly where you want me to go and I'll do what you want me to do. What does that mean for you today? For some here, and I don't know who. I don't know. Someone here, it means go home and love your wife like Christ does the church today. Men, when's the last time we told our wife we loved them? Another one. Let's go back and say, by God's grace, I will, by God's grace, only by God's grace be a leader of this home. I'll make the tough decisions. You know how leaders are leaders? They make the tough decisions. That's it. They take the blow, they make the tough decision, and that's how they lead. That's where you're at too, man. For someone here, it's probably, Lord, I'll go back and be reconciled to my brother, my sister. There's that neighbor down the street that's kind of bugging me, and by God's grace, I'll start praying for him. I think sometimes, men, we underestimate the power of God when we as men are just willing to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What could God do right here? If we as men would just simply say, I'll pray and lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Most of you don't know much, and I'm going to share something, just a, one of the things that shook my life to the core 20 years ago now. Been in the railroad business all of our life, in the chemical railroad business, and we were in Yakima, Washington, getting ready to go. And we are going to spray down a railroad track. We had a 450 flatbed Ford. It was loaded with high-concentrated chemical right along the Yakima River. The dispatcher's name was Janine, and she'd cleared me to travel with my friend Joe, my partner at that time. And this was highly-concentrated chemical and we got the truck out, and the neutral safety switch in the truck had been sitting in the winter. It had stalled, and we were getting that working. This is a 450, a small truck. We use a lot bigger trucks today. And all of a sudden, you get cleared because nothing's happening. And all of a sudden, Joe never joked with me. He's a dear brother still today. Today, we've done many ministry things together. And the doors were open, the truck. I'd left the truck, truck in neutral because the safety switch was sticking. And all of a sudden, Joe yelled out, Train! I knew he wasn't lying. 800 pound, gallons of chemical, and I put my foot to the floor, and I looked behind me, and there was the, there was the light. 
There's a 10 mile an hour track, and I did not know at the time that the man was driving at 45. He came in a little town of Ellensburg and said, I'm going home on Friday night. I'm here today by the grace of God because God spared my life and gave me 30 feet to escape. I floored that truck, gave it everything I got, and I cleared that thing. It was over. I can't hear the whistle of a train. I've hardly gotten a truck since that time. God, God did a lot to me. I love to work, man. Didn't have a lazy bone in my body, but I like to do everything. And God said, you've got to let a lot of things go. I've been, I've been ministering for 15 years. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. You've got to find men and trust them. Let them do it. But there was a greater message that God gave me that I pray that will never leave me. Because see, I can read Peter today and read about how Peter said I was delivered out of the mouth of a lion, and that's what I see. To this day, I still hear the whistle and the light of that train coming down the track. Most people don't live. I've calculated that down to somewhere between a third and a half of a second. But I say that for this reason, man. You're here today, and I'm here because God has spared your lives. That's it. He's given you today. He's given you this moment, this moment to touch, this day to live in, this church to be in, this community to dwell in, and God's given you that grace. And you're here by his grace. And you may not, and many of you have had closer things than that probably happen in your lives, but God says, I've, I've given that time for you today. Now, men, stand in the gap. Leave here, give everything you have to Christ pour your heart in, and give, it, give him your all. And he will be there reconciling the world to himself through his message, not imputing their trespasses against them. God bless you all. Good to be with you.